Welcome to the Next Gen Marketing Podcast, where we feature top execs and influencers blazing new trails in consumer engagement, content strategy, digital media, and brand design. And now, here's your host, Andre Najjar. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm excited to introduce Gabe Gordon, the co-founder of Reach Agency here in Los Angeles, which was named Advertising Age's Small Agency of the Year and also Best Entrepreneurial Company in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. Gabe is a true social content innovator, having constructed numerous campaigns that we know and love for companies like Google, Disney, Nestle, Anheuser-Busch, and the NFL. On today's episode, we recap the rapid digital acceleration in 2020 and forecast the future of entertainment and digital for 2021. Enjoy our conversation. So Gabe, 2020 was quite a year when it came to entertainment. We saw a lot of industry shifts. We saw production freezes. We saw an aggressive push across all of the digital media platforms. I'd love to get your take on what you thought of 2020 from an entertainment standpoint. I think 2020 was the year where we just saw rapid um, acceleration, really, of everything we knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I think consumers were put, consumers and audiences were put in a matter of circumstance, which was COVID-19 and I think um, studios and advertisers alike found that the traditional way of doing things didn't work. Um, but I think we also, um, in a positive note, really realized um, the value of entertainment. You know, um, people were stuck at home. People turned to their favorite, you know, movies and TV shows. Um, you know, things like gaming became more important to fill our day. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation where you had an industry in, um, rapid transformation, but yet the relevancy of it just going through the roof. Yeah. So I wanted to pull a few statistics from 2020 that sort of blew me away. The first one is that TikTok helped over 90 songs reach the top 100 charts in the U S with 15 of those reaching number one. The second one is that the most effective ad format now is the six-second digital spot down from 15 seconds the previous year. Travis Scott's in-game Fortnite concert was one of the top-selling concerts of all time, creating an over 130% increase in his streams. And then finally, video reviews increased e-commerce purchase rates by over 184% globally. I mean, when looking at these statistics, you wonder, like, why do brands even advertise on TV anymore? I uh, I ask my clients that uh, every day. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, look, TV is still the number one medium and in, in investment. You know, um, uh, you know, ideal scenarios for very large brands are 50-50. I mean, obviously, there are direct-to-consumer, newer uh, brands that are 100% digital, but any major brand of any scale is at least putting 50% in TV. And uh, frankly, what's even more disturbing is that um, the, the networks have not figured out a different model for monetizing. It's mm-hmm. still based on selling interruptive TV units, which is even more concerning when you look at the trends of consumers 
all flocking to VOD where there's no advertising. And how are some of your clients playing with the VOD emergence and OTT? Are they able to advertise as effectively? Normal digital video is going on AVODs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But AVODs are, 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 uh, you know, they're not reaching a bubble, but they're 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 multiplying very quickly, and it's very hard to capture an audience with you know integrity and and certainty. Um, you know that's why you see a lot more people doing things like YouTube. Um, but you know SVODs are impossible to get into unless you create brand and content. You know one right. great example we saw recently was um, Headspace actually had a series on Netflix, and I thought that was a fantastic example of how brands need to augment how they interact with consumers. They need to add value and um, they need to create content people want to watch that also helps build their brand, but maybe in a different way. Um, And and that's key. Um, What was the format, just out of curiosity, of the Headspace series? It was a a multi-part series on Netflix. Oh, interesting. So it was like their typical like 30 to 60 minute? Yep. Wow. And look... I mean, Headspace is the right product category to be able to tell that story and, and also has a, a platform in meditation that appeals to a much broader amount of people, especially, you know, in 2020 or in 2021. Could Crest Toothpaste do the same thing? It would be a lot harder. Right. Gabe, I'd love to take a step back and learn a bit more about the history of Reach Agency You guys have won so many awards for thought leadership and innovation. And also, if you found yourselves having to pivot in 2020 with all of the cultural shifts. Yeah, I'll I'll go I'll go to the beginning because I think it um, it holds true to this year. But um, look, uh, my 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 co-founder and I, uh, Frank Catapano, you know, spent 10 years at William Morris helping brands try to make TV series, um, work with celebrities or, or make films. And we decided to start a YouTube agency in 2011. And the reason for that was because um, it was so hard to get branded content out there. You know, brands wanted to tell cool stories, which was, you know, you could do through an integration or, a, you know, um, a sponsored a sponsorship on a TV show. But it was it was limiting and, and it took too long and it cost a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was deal driven. It wasn't idea driven. And so when we saw YouTube, we saw this fantastic opportunity where brands could literally just create awesome stuff. And there was there was um, no red tape in between them and audiences or consumers for them to see this content. And so we love that. We love that. And we saw very much a lot of similarities to what we saw in traditional entertainment of a, a new talent class. Uh, a new set of producers, but again, no network ad sales, no bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really um, sort of the, the, the DNA behind our agency is we always wanted to help brands create content people wanted to watch mm-hmm. and chose to watch um, and, and share and engage with because we thought that's what was important to really engaging um consumers for brands. And that's what would be of long-term value to building brands. Mm-hmm. And so this year, look, I would say, hey, did we have to make a lot of pivots this year? Yes. But honestly, it's it's been part of the course because look, we started off as YouTube um, and we were a YouTube agency, but then Facebook started making videos mm-hmm. and there was things called Snapchat. And then even things like, hey, TikTok this year, you know, I don't think um, we've always been um, 
you know, changing every year to new technology platform developments. Um, and so the pivots this year um, weren't measurably different, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, TikTok's out there. Brands now want to be on TikTok. We've guided brands on the development of video and influencers on pretty much every social platform. Right. Right. Um, you know, we've been, you know, we've been working on, you know, originals with the Netflix, the HBO Maxes since, since they started, mm -hmm. um, you know, from an entertainment perspective. So I think the biggest thing this year, if I had a, if I had to give one headline was, um, you know, I've never had to pay attention to the news so much when <laughs> launching campaigns. Right. And I think that's, that's the big thing. And, and that might be, um, a reality going forward, you know, whether yeah. it is influencers or whether it is a campaign, you, you never had to stay glued to the news like you would if you worked in politics. Yeah, you know, that's or, or, it's interesting that you bring that up, because when you and I started off in entertainment, it was very much Hollywood speaking to audiences and almost in some ways ad audiences. And now there's so much dialogue and so much UGC content that it's completely changed the dynamic. Yeah, not only do you have to be aware of, um, you know, a, a specific, if you're working with an influencer, if you're working with a creator, their audiences, but now you also have to be um, aware of the circumstances around. And so it used to be you did background checks, you look at, you did an audit of their content, make sure no one was doing anything bad, and make sure you understood how, like, talent engaged with their audiences. Now it's talent audience, and then it's also social and political, right? What is going on in the world? Do you think that that's something that was also an accelerated trend that was bound to happen? Like as far as people's social interests and political interests, or do you think it's been the result of obviously the last four years of administration? Like, do you think it was always going to head this way? Absolutely. I mean, look, you always had to be mindful of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, I think that was on concentrate. Um, this past year, but yeah. I don't think it, I don't think it will go away. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you always have to be culturally and, and socially appropriate um, because it's look, if you look at the principles of advertising, it's the right message, the right person mm -hmm. in the right place. And now at the right time. Right. And so time used to dictate point of purchase, right? Are you grabbing mom before she goes to the grocery store? But I think, that's been dimensionalized now. Now it's about, hey, is this the right time to give a brand message or is everybody watching the news right now? Absolutely. Gabe, looking ahead to 2021, what do you see as some of the important players, platforms, or channels in entertainment? Like, What are, what are some of your trends that you're forecasting and that you're directing clients toward? I wouldn't call them trends, but I mean, look, immediately actionable. I think gaming is is a hundred percent. It's you know we got a twenty to thirty percent um, boost in gaming. It's a ravenous audience. It's it's more than just teenage boys. Um, you know, you said earlier you talked about Travis Scott having his most successful concert on a gaming platform, right? Mm. These platforms will change from just being gaming, even though that's what's provided on them. But you know, big streamers are getting bigger live audiences than, than, you know, network TV. And, and that's a fact. And so, um, and it's, and it's a much richer um, viewing experience and interaction experience. Interactivity. And so, so I think it's great, you know, um, it's not for everybody. It's for certain brands, but if you have a brand that, that makes sense and it's done the right way, 
it's incredibly powerful. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've been having a lot of clients come to me to activate in the metaverse for the reasons that you said, that it's highly interactive, it's highly engaged. And, you know, it's interesting. I think when we were all predicting this movement into primarily digital human contact, that there was almost this like depressive element associated with it. But I think people are actually really able to express themselves almost more fully in these metaverse environments. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's how they connect with friends. Um, it's, it's entertainment. It's, it's, it's actually education to some degree. Like, you know, people forget um, on platforms like Twitch, you know, there are like, there are art classes, right? If you have yeah. a job in graphic design, like there's a ton of awesome resources from everything to that to cooking. Right. Um, and, and so that's as a platform like that matures. I mean, every platform starts for one thing, but then it broadens and, and, and it can connect with people in, in a lot of ways. Right. TikTok, you know, was musically, it was just dancing. Right. And uh, now now it's it's everything. Right. Um, exactly. OK, so, Gabe, let's go back to talking about the players, specifically influencers. You know, obviously we have more influencers now than we've ever had. And I've been reading a lot of reports about how the micro-influencer is going to increase in popularity due to greater intimacy with audiences. But I just wanted to get your take, like as digital content in general becomes more saturated, how can brands break through? When you say a micro-influencer is more effective or is going to grow more, it's like saying, uh, you know, um, it's like the difference between a six second spot and a 15 second spot or a 30 second spot. You know, um, any good plan has different objectives for what you're using them for. Right. And so I think it's great that there are platforms and technology that will allow brands to activate at scale with, with micro influencers, because you know, the old school way of doing deals of calling people, getting an agreement, working with them on something and then reviewing it, et cetera. Um, are not economically feasible when you work with micro influencers based off of, you know, what their reach is. However, one of the big principles we try to instill in our clients is influence doesn't have a follower count. And if you're trying to do something that's truly influential, you have small people, you have medium people, you have large people doing it, and you're seeing it across your feed from a lot of different people. And so what that is, is it's a great tool um, for brands to use. But I think what it comes back to is brands um, still haven't wrapped their heads around how to effectively have um, great influencer campaigns um, mm -hmm. with scale and, 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 and with longevity in the market. Yeah. You know, you were kind of speaking to it earlier when, you know, sort of the reasons why you and Frank founded Reach about just the ability to create quality content that truly resonates with consumers. When you are giving advice to your brands, can you tell me a little bit about how you direct them from a creative standpoint? Yeah, I think, look, I think we're, we're humanistic in nature, right? Um, we were born, you know, as this YouTube agency, right? Creating organic videos. So everything we did had to be liked by audiences organically, also deliver on brand goals. Um, um, but it had to it had to work organically. And I think that's that's the the core of all of our advice to clients, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what message you're saying, you know, um, you know, uh, 
you know, we'll push back on a brand if it's like, hey, list these five RTBs that sounds like a brand robot talking, right? That, that, <laughs> that won't work in any feed, no matter who the influencer is, right? Um, and, and so it's, you know, one of the, the, the um, parts of our job to help get us there is really the educational part about showing brands how you can have creativity and, and tell your brand story in maybe a different way than than the same way you're approaching for your TV or for your digital. Um, and, and really, by the way, it's, it's a lot about, of it is um, ROI too. If you're, you're paying an influencer, not just for their audience, um, but mm -hmm. for their production and also for their storytelling. And so yeah. um, not, not listening to them on how they would bring this product to life um, is not getting the full value of what you're spending for and it's not setting yourself up for success. Yeah, definitely. Like looking at the specificity of platform and format and the talent themselves, I think is really important. Are, are there any um, structural blocks that you find with companies? Like, you know, I was interviewing a, another WME alum, Kevin Gould, who starts a lot of digitally native brands in the beauty space. And he was talking about just the rapid pace of innovation and how, you know, large companies really need to learn how to be more nimble. And I'm curious, as you're developing content, as you're creating these campaigns, have you encountered any roadblocks structurally? Yeah, look, I think large companies are always going to be a little bit behind the curve, right? But um, I think what's interesting is, look, there's always going to be a dark startup brand, especially those in the cosmetic space, which can use what move way faster and be mm -hmm. on that cutting edge. And some of them use it to to gain a lot of market share and, and build their brand. But I think uh, responding to, to that statement first, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people at the cutting edge don't realize the um, that these large brands, they're multi-billion dollar brands and that have been around for for years you know sometimes centuries um and and moving slower and being more strategic um especially when it comes to new media is a thoughtful action and it's a thoughtful action that, right. that protects the brand so when brands um have the opportunity to work with a new technology so let's just even say something like a TikTok. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt to take a beat. Let other people try it out first. Um, get some learnings and then test and learn and scale, which is typically how these large brands um, get involved. But um, I think they've gotten a lot better. Look, our, our whole agency started and I, I'd like to think has been part of, you know, um, you know, one of the largest, um, you know, renaissance in marketing. You know, it was TV, mm -hmm. print and radio. Um, right. for, 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 you know, 50, <laughs> 50 plus years, you know, the newest thing being TV, um, until YouTube, um, yeah. and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, and, 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 and if you look in the past eight years, we've gone from YouTube all the way to TikTok, you know, um, absolutely. And so I think brands are doing great. Um, what, what the, what I'd say is one of the biggest hurdles here is that um, and this is, again, similar to that statement I made about TV. TV deals for integrations and brand entertainment were all deal-driven, right? Um, mm -hmm. So many of the opportunities on these new platforms are media-driven. And yes, the platform should make money, but um, it's sort of, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're just about an ad spend, you're not really thinking of usually the best way to enter a platform, right? 100%. And, and I think that 
it, it, it will always be a battle and I'm not saying it, it will change immediately, but that's the thing that um, is a huge hurdle, right? Um, and it, it's really getting the money to do something right on a platform. Because if, yeah. if you were going to do something on a new platform, the easiest source to do something quickly is a media proposal from that platform, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, especially when you're thinking about like the different KPIs that brands are going for with campaigns, you know, are they looking to have, you know, direct ROI, like some of the retail campaigns, which really in the digital space, that's like the e-commerce funnels. Are they looking to build brand awareness? And, you know, there's a place for both. And I think, you know, as like in this kind of COVID slash post COVID economy, I think a lot of people are really scared to take risks and like create a textured strategy, but I think it's really important. Yeah. The first step, um, which is never KPI though, is being part of the community. And when you look at things like gaming or even platforms like TikTok, right? Like the, the first KPI to be able to generate more awareness, to be able to build relevance, um, to drive purchase consideration, which takes trust, is being part of that community first. And it's, it's sort of a new KPI and it, it's, it's hard to attach a sales metric to it. But, um, you know, when you have these passionate communities like gamers um, or these, you know, intimate social, social um, platforms, if, if you come in the wrong way, if you come in too hot, it's gonna cause more damage than it's gonna cause benefit. And um, it's something marketers need to think more and more about as part of their strategies. That is a huge point. I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, more and more, it's like the old ways of looking at audiences don't apply. It's like it's more about these digital tribes or these consumer tribes that might not share the same age group, but they you know engage with the same content online. So I think that's really important. And I do think that sometimes marketers forget to truly be a part of the community. I mean, you can only get so much from research. You you might have to, you know, I had a, a an interview with a trend expert who was talking about how as things are moving so quickly, it's important to have people that reflect different audiences have a seat at the table because you're not always going to have time to do three months of, of consumer research. And specifically, she was speaking to, you know, diversity and, and cultural sensitivity. And I mean, we're getting off of a year of Uber cancel culture, you know, and as you were talking about the bigger brands, that's what I thought about is, you know, they really do have to be careful. And I think it's important to have that element of community. I think that's a, that's a great call. Yep. So, uh, Gabe, moving on to recent news and entertainment, what are your thoughts on the uh, Roku acquisition of the Quibi catalog? Um, it seemed like it was a distressed asset that they could acquire. Yeah. Do <laughs> um, you think it's going to be good for Roku? You know, I think it was a necessary move. You know, the streaming wars are so competitive anyway. Um, Roku needed that. And um, it was uh, it was probably cheaper than them doing it on their own. And and the benefit of Quibi's catalog was it was big talent. You know, it was yeah, big talent. It was um, a, whether the platform worked or not, that's that's a different challenge. But one thing Katzenberg is great at is talent and content. So um, absolutely. How about diversity in Hollywood? I know that this is a big thing that's come up quite a bit over the past year. Like, tell me a little bit about just how you guys are seeing that as part of your strategies for brands. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Look, we've, we've, we've always, I mean, I, whether conscious or not, it's, it's something we've always done. You know, um, this yeah. year we, we actually did an audit of everything we've done and 
it's incredibly diverse. Um, we've always believed in reflecting um, the world as as it should be. You know, um, I think what's great, um, especially on developing platforms, is look. A lot of times, um, there might not be diverse people at the right scale or to the right audience you might need. What I what I feel has happened in the past year is now brands are more okay with that. They're they might be they might be more okay with, hey, let's work with this person even though they're not as big and figure out how to get our audience somewhere else, which I think will be huge. Knowing that this is the Next Gen Marketing Podcast, what are your top tips for brand marketers for 2021? Um, tips in 2021. Um, look, I think it's all about trying something new. And you know what? Fight, fight the... Uh, internal protocols or the muscle memory of advertising past. You know, we have to do something different. Um, and when you do something different is where you're really going to see success. Um, and that could be from, you know, a creative concept for a campaign to maybe trying something on a new platform that that isn't just a media campaign, you know. Um, marketers have to be bold to really win. Um, uh, they have to be smart, but they have to be bold. Um, and so, um, Look, media um, does influence a lot of what we do, um, but but carving out time to to have have those you know sort of lighthouse executions that show markers while you're doing something different can sometimes pay off, and then figuring out what did work so that you can scale it is is key to I think any market in this day and age because I don't think anything's going to slow down <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, the pace is going to keep getting faster and faster. What are, do you have any other tips, anything that you're excited about in 2021? Um, well, uh, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist to uh, some degree. So like while everybody's checking out TikTok and all this stuff, I still, you know, don't, don't forget the basics, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan, as you know, of just things like product placement, right? It's so right. cheap. You can, you can be in, 10 Hollywood films for the same price as a, a TikTok campaign. And, and, wow. and you know, it will be on Netflix in 10 years, not, not your TikTok campaign. It will be, it will be gone. That's it'll be really gone in 10 days, uh, you know? Yeah. So I think marketers, it's, it's always challenging for marketers because they need instant ROI, um, you know, um, but, but don't forget about the tried and true, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. I think with all of this innovation that's going on, we sometimes forget that there's low-hanging fruit with these tried-and-true methods that still have great ROI. So with that said, Gabe, I want to thank you so much for being on this episode. I'm going to go ahead and leave all of your information in the show notes so that my audience can follow along with all of the great things that Reach is doing in 2021 and beyond. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get this podcast. And follow us on social media for top marketing tips from our guests.